So we've talked to some excellent spinners lately and today we're delighted to be joined by another one. After dominating the first class scene in New Zealand for a number of years, Ajaz Patel made a dream international debut, spinning New Zealand to a test win against Pakistan in Abu Dhabi. 18 months, seven tests and another five for later. He now finds himself as the incumbent test spinner with a central contract and an appearance on the Top Order podcast. So without further ado, Ajaz, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, look, absolute pleasure from this end. We're obviously keen to talk about your journey to the Black Caps, but we've got to start things off by saying a big congratulations on the New Zealand contract. Yeah, much appreciated. Um, obviously, it's taken a lot of hard work to try to get here. So um, it is quite sweet, but also in saying that, obviously, the, the way that things are around the world, it's a bit kind of sketchy as well. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of what, what it looks like going forward. And obviously the security of that contract is nice, but is it also even more sweet as a boost to hear Gavin Larson say that the selectors view you as the, the guy in possession of the jersey at the moment? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, you know, as a, as a player and as a cricketer, you always want to be um, kind of that person that, that that plays and that person that, that I suppose you're the, you're the number one pick in terms of that role. Um, and I guess in the past it's kind of been like, well, we've got an injury here, so there's an opportunity, or we need more than one spinner, so here's an opportunity. Um, so it's nice to have that security to know that you're likely to be playing more often than not, and I suppose it helps you prepare, but also um, you know you can start planning and moving forward as to how you want to contribute to the team. And was that always your dream growing up as well, an international contract in, in those sort of early days? Uh, not so much the contract itself, to be honest. I, I hadn't really thought about the contract too much, but more so, you know, just playing for New Zealand and, and representing New Zealand. Um, growing up, that was always the dream of playing for New Zealand. Um, and I suppose I've taken a long way to get there, but I had to figure out a way as to how I was going to do that. And um, I had to adapt and change along the way. So it's quite rewarding to, to now be in a position where, you know, I can say I'm a, I'm a black cap cricketer. Awesome. And I guess in terms of uh, that, that lead in, we, in our research, you started out as a seamer. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I believe one of your podmasters, Stu, will be able to um, relive some of those memories um, from club cricket in Auckland. Um, but yeah, I, I started off as a seamer. Um, I played three years at under 19 as an opening bowler. Um, and then from there on decided to make the switch just because I just kind of, um, even though I was doing well, I wasn't, I suppose, rightly or wrongly, I wasn't being picked, um, due to my physical attributes. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I, I had to figure out what I was going to do next if I wanted to play for New Zealand. Um, and it just so happened I was fortunate to be around a lot of um, good people who could give me some good advice as to how I could, you know, move forward. Um, and long story short, I decided to take up spin bowling. Um, in, my first, in my first season, I was doing both. So I was still opening the bowling and then coming back and bowling spin um, later on in the innings. So that was an interesting period. Well, it certainly seems to be a bit of a theme. We, we spoke with uh, Dipak Patel a few weeks ago. He started out as a batter. Jeetan Patel was telling us he also started out 
uh, as a seamer. What sort of was the catalyst for you kind of trying the tweakers? Did you, you just bowl in the nets and kind of ripped a few? Or, you know, what kind of made you think, actually, I'm going to make the shift here? Um, well, I mean, as a fast bowler, you're limited as to how many overs you're going to bowl at training. So, um, and as you know, batters are still there waiting for a hit. So, um, you know, I'd always come back at the back end of the net session um, and bowl a few spinners just to help the batters out and, um, you know, give them something to play against. And it was also something that I was reasonably okay at. I wouldn't say I was any any good or even half decent. But, um, you know, after after the under-19s and stuff, I had a good hard think and um, it was nice because I had Patek Patel in my corner for three years at under-19s level. So I built a good relationship with him. Um, and I explored that option and I spoke to a few people around here in Auckland um, within the club environment as well. Um, I spoke to Barrington Rowland, who was our um, premier coach at the time, and, um, and a few other coaches. And they said, look, obviously, you know, it's not it's not impossible. Um, and, it, and it's something if you want to pursue, um, then we believe that you could potentially do it with, you know, with a good work ethic. But it's, it's something that your decision um, and we can only kind of, you know, support you and, and guide you, whichever, whichever decision you make. So I was very fortunate to have the right people there at the right time um, who helped me make that decision and helped guide me as well. Yeah. I mean, ages, I remember, um, I think you, I've, I started playing uh, and you were already a spinner. I think by the time I'd moved to Auckland, but I, right, right. I, I remember the boys were saying that you used to be a seaman, and I kind of just assumed, oh, you must have changed when you were, you know, 11 or 12 or things. But it sort yeah, of was yeah. a, a big ego hit when I realised, oh, you know, he's only been bowling spin for a little bit, and he's already pretty much surpassed me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, I, I suppose I was fortunate. There's, there's obviously a, a bit of natural talent there, um, but also a lot of hard work as well. I, I remember um, kind of when I first switched over. Um, I was working with Dipak all winter on figuring out what a spinner's action is all about. Um, mm. And he was he was really good about, you know, just providing me information um, and also giving me small tasks throughout the winter. Um, so he would give me one thing to work on and one thing alone, and I'd work on that for about two months and then go back to him. Um, and if I hadn't nailed it down, he wouldn't let me move forward. Nice. Um, so he, he was a hard taskmaster, but I also recall getting – Oh, I think the season was about a week away, um, the, the club season. And at that point, I had, didn't have a run-up. Um, and all I had was this lovely action, but I didn't know how I was going to get to the crease and actually let the ball go. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, obviously, I was again, I was very lucky that I managed to work out a run-up at that time pretty quickly. Um, so got the season underway and it was all fine. But... Even that's changed over time. Um, as you would have noticed now, I, I don't really have a run-up. I have more kind of a walk in, mm. into the crease. So uh, you adapt with time. Um, but obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot of thinking that goes on, um, a lot of kind of, you know, racking your brain as to what's the right way to keep moving forward. Was that real simple technical setup? Like you said, you've got a really nice, simple action. You've got a really nice, basic run to the crease. Did that help you make that transition from fast bowling to spin bowling a lot easier and, and help you kind of achieve that meteoric rise that we've seen from you over the last couple of years? Yeah, 100%. I mean, simplicity, is, when we talk about spin bowling, especially as a finger spinner, um, 
the key is to be able to deliver consistency, um, and especially at a high level. If you can be consistent and have, well, you'd like to have 100%, but if you can have 80%, 90% control as to where you're delivering the ball and actually execute, then that goes a long way into having success as a spinner. Um, so, yeah, definitely the action itself has helped, um, but also the experience over time building that as a spinner. Uh, it's, it's talked about a lot, and it's, it's pretty cliched, but um, you definitely mature as a spinner because you learn so much more about yourself and, and how you work and how your action works and stuff like that. Once you have an understanding of that, if you can build an understanding of that, as a youngster, um, there's no reason why you can't be a more than capable spinner while young. But obviously, I didn't have the luxury of having that time when I was younger to be able to figure those things out. Um, so it probably took me a bit longer. Um, but in saying that, yeah, 100%, the, the simple action, uh, clean approach definitely helped me, you know, move a lot quicker um, moving forward as well. I, um, I mean, just, just listening to you talk, it, it's sort of answering my questions a little bit but um you know it feels like you've always been able to kind of move up the grades really smoothly like um you know even just thinking about when you're at, at club cricket i mean i don't i hope don't, this doesn't sound insulting but like it didn't seem like you yeah. were you know like a huge wicket taker but you're always really consistent and just sort of did your role and it seems like you've just been yeah. able to move up those grades and kind of been able to do the exact same thing has that consistency been like your main kind of driver and, and the most important thing you wanted to master yeah, hundred um, percent. I remember like there's a lot of things that stick with me from you know my my first kind of year training with Bipak, and um, one of the one of the biggest things that he told me is your most delivery, uh, your most dangerous delivery, should be the delivery that you bowl most most often, um, and realistically that's your stock delivery. Now, if you can make your stock delivery dangerous, then you're looking at taking a wicket every ball rather than relying on your change ups or your your arm balls and your sliders and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so my focus has always been around making that delivery the most dangerous ball that I can make it. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an amazing ball every time or that it's going to pick up a wicket every ball every time. But you're giving yourself the best chance. And, and as a spinner, if you can put the batsman under pressure for long periods of time, you're bound to get a wicket somewhere. Um, and that all just comes from putting the ball on a handkerchief um, over and over again, um, regardless regardless of you know who's batting or, or what surface you're on. Um, obviously, those things determine where that handkerchief is placed. But at the end of it, once you've figured out where that handkerchief is, that's that's where the ball's got to go 90% of the time. So yeah, I mean, it's and talking about it, it's a very simple simple thing to do. But it's mm. obviously building building that skill to be able to do that for 80 to 90% of the time. Um, which is which is what the tough part is, and I've always focused on that, and even to this day, I still focus on that. Uh, it can be a little bit detrimental as well. I mean, because I'm so focused on that, sometimes I don't put as much work into my change-ups. But mm. also, at the same time, I'm in a position where I'm what 60 to 70 percent content with my change-ups, so mm. it doesn't bother me too much because I know I'm only going to use them maybe, you know. Five, five deliveries out of um, 80 or 90. Uh, so so it's, not, it's not like I need a very good change-up as long as my, my main delivery is, is the most potent and most dangerous one. I'm going to extend the handkerchief analogy for a minute. How, how much does that handkerchief move in terms of 
the place that you're playing. So whether that's on tour in a maybe a more spin friendly set of conditions or in terms of changes of format from the white ball to the red ball? Yeah, it definitely changes a lot. Um, it, it changes pretty much every game, and it can change in a test match. I've, I've seen it change from day to day, um, and it's being able to quickly adapt. Um, for example, you go to the subcontinent, you have to bowl a little bit fuller um, because the wickets are a lot slower. You don't get as much bounce. Um, so you have to draw batters out to you, and if you allow them you know, even a little bit of length, they can easily sit back on the back foot. and these guys at, at the international level, they are very, very good at moving forwards and backwards, um, especially in the subcontinent. So when you're ch- trying to challenge these guys, you have to make sure that the ball's in that area slightly fuller of a length more often than not because as soon as you miss, they're on the back foot and they put you through a gap somewhere. Um, likewise, if you're in, in New Zealand, for example, if you're too forward, it just goes sailing back over your head um, because it just sits there. Uh, and so you have to make sure that that that's come back at least about a foot, half a foot. Um, but in saying that, once again, like I say, it's whatever's in front of you, you, you need to be able to adapt to that. And one day cricket's the same. Although with white ball, I think around the world now, you tend to see conditions quite similar in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably a bit more even. And the conditions probably don't affect the game as much. So, in terms of white ball, there's, there's a length that you want to hit most of the time, um, and there will be maybe you know a small chance that you get on a surface that's really slow or a surface that's bouncing a lot, but it doesn't happen all that often. So mm. in one-day cricket, you probably don't need to change too much, um, but definitely in, in test cricket, um, the venue, the, the opposition, um, the surface, definitely you, you're going to have to adapt, and you're going to have to adapt day-to-day as well. You came through the ranks in Auckland and, and played Auckland A and, and, and spent a number of years up here, but then made the move to Central Districts. How did that move to CD come about for you? Um, once again, it was it was about me looking to find uh, progression um, in, in terms of being able to move further in my career and um, a, a pathway to do that. And at the time, at, at the time in Auckland, um, we had some quality spinners who were playing for the Aces in Brooklyn to Singh and uh, Bruce Martin. And it was pretty hard to shake those two um, from from the domestic side. Um, and as a spinner, you know there's, there's only really two positions that you can take up, and that's only if you're using two spinners. So for me at that time, I spoke to Koshik Patel, who was the high-performance coordinator for Auckland Cricket at the time, and I and I had a realistic conversation with him around, you know, where Auckland Cricket saw me. Um and whether they saw me, you know, being able to play and contribute or, or get, um, you know, some exposure to first-class cricket or domestic cricket. And fair, fair play to him, he told me straight up that, look, to be honest, at the moment, we can't really see you playing anytime soon. Um, and so I, I said to him, well, if that's the case, then I may look to move. Um, and he said, well, do you have any ideas as to where you want to go? Um and before that, I'd also been thinking about, you know, where are the opportunities? And Taryn Nathula, who was already playing at CD, had been telling me for a while to come over there as they didn't have a, a second spinner for the longer form. Um, and so I finally listened to Taryn's advice and I, and I said to Koshik, look, I think I'm going to try and see if I can get down to CD and, um, you know, 
make my way into that team. Um, and, and I was grateful because, you know, being down at CD, I had someone there familiar um, who once again guided me as well. And Taron was brilliant. Um, you know, even when he was playing, he was talking me through bowling and what what's expected at a first class level because it is a big jump from A's cricket again. Um, so it's, it's being able to make those jumps as you move forward and, and being able to adapt and, and improve your game as quickly as possible to be able to yeah. kind of, I suppose, fit into that environment and, and make the most of that environment. Um, so I was grateful once once I got down to CD, um, I, I suppose things fell into place pretty quickly. Um, my first season there, I managed to debut. Um, I had a shocking debut against Jesse Ryder in 2020. <laughs> Um, he proceeded to slap us all over the park. Um, and I was just bowling lovely love letters in a T20 <laughs> on, on, on the claim park, which was, um, you know, just the, I've never seen a wicket. And to this day, I've never seen a wicket like that. Just had this lovely sheen on it. And, um, you know, it was, it was almost like you could see your reflection. Um, and yeah, he just proceeded to, to slap us all over the place. And I, I remember sitting there after the game thinking this could be the last game I ever play. Yeah. Um, but I was fortunate. Um, I, I believe I got my opportunity because at the time, Taron had done something or he was out for some reason. And it just so happened that there was a four-day kind of, you know, two days, three days time against Wellington again. So that was a bit nervy, kind of bowling my first ball um, in the four-day. But that went a lot better than the T20. So I kind of started feeling, okay, well, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Um, and I can actually, you know, progress from here. Yeah, well, obviously, from those humble beginnings for Central District, that move paid huge dividends for you. You know, you you were the leading wicket-taker in first-class cricket for three years running there. After that much success, were you starting to wonder if the Black Caps or, or higher honours would ever come for you? Uh, not at all. Um, to be honest, for me, I've always been very internally focused. Um, and, and for me, it's always been about, you know, how can I improve? How can I keep being better? How can I keep putting results down and how can I keep contributing to the team? And I've found that in all my time through, you know, coming up playing cricket, if you start chasing something, it becomes a lot harder to actually get there. But if you start kind of, you know, focusing on yourself and, and finding out what you can do um, that can help you put yourself into that position. So for me, it was always about focusing on my game continuing to improve, how, how am I going to keep improving, how am I going to keep getting better, and knowing that if, if I keep looking at those things and trusting that if I keep looking at those things, that the selection side of things will take care of themselves. Um, and to be honest, like, you know, with every cricketer that makes it to the top, they have a journey of setbacks and, you know, moving forward and going backwards, moving forward and going backwards. And I suppose that's, that's the story of most successful sports people. Um, but you learn to deal with failure as well, and you, and you learn to deal with non-selection and, and you know continue to move forward. Um, you have to be a bit thick-skinned about it and kind of just brush it off and continue to focus on yourself. Because if you can do that, then you're going to be the best player that you can be. And as long as you're the best player you can be, those other things will come anyway. Um, you know, so if I mean, for example, me, I suppose I always focused on becoming the best first-class cricketer in the country mm. or the best first-class spinner in the country. And I wasn't bothered about, you know, being selected to New Zealand. But my whole my whole thing was, can I become the best first-class spinner in the country? Um, and how am I going to do that? 
So that's what my focus was. It wasn't about playing for New Zealand. But in saying that, I knew that if I became the best first-class spinner in the country, what's that going to lead to? That's going to lead to me playing for New Zealand or getting opportunities to play for New Zealand. Um, so, so I suppose my outlook's always been that. So I never really thought, oh, you know, this sucks because I'm not getting picked for New Zealand. Yeah, obviously you had your disappointments. You, 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 you do want to aspire to that and you wish that you'd get more opportunities. But at the same time, it never really um, dwelled on me too much. I was still focused on what I had to do rather than worry about all the other stuff. And and I mean that the actual debut though, it couldn't have gone much better than that. Five wickets, take the last wicket, win by four runs. How good was that, eh? Yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, I, I don't think that's a game. I suppose there's no doubt in my mind I'll never forget that game. Mm. Um, and I suppose the challenge now is to try and emulate the same success over a long period of time. Mm. Um, and you know, when you when you start off with a bang like that, you just go. You've announced yourself and you've shown the people that you're there. But now it's kind of like, oh, you've got to make sure that you keep trying to keep getting better, keep improving. And it's not necessarily about the actual, um, I suppose, the actual wickets in itself, um, because we know, like as spinners, our roles change all the time, mm. regardless. Um, and so you just have to adapt to what the situation is. I mean, in New Zealand, you're not necessarily looking for five wickets, but you may be, you know, looking to get one or two and, um, you know, hold the run rate while the seamers get a bit of a break and then they can come back on. Um, but at the same time, I want to try and take a different mould moving forward as well because I feel that there's a little bit more that we as spinners can offer in New Zealand um, and, and play a bit more of an attacking role. Mm and look to take wickets because if we're just going to try and hold up one end, the seamers still have to come back and take wickets. Mm. But if we can look to take a few wickets in that period and take two or three, then that means that's two or three wickets less that the seamers have to take when they come back. Um, and that goes a long way as well. Um, obviously out on the park when you're spending five days in the dirt, it can be a bit tough. And and I mean, yeah, I was going to ask about that mindset. I mean, I mean you go from you know, going over in the subcontinent and you're an attacking weapon and you're trying to take wickets, how hard is it to kind of get your head back into that role that you might play in New Zealand? Uh, it's funny that, eh? Um, for me personally, my, my bowling itself doesn't really change too much. Um, I'm still, whether I'm in the subcontinent or whether I'm in New Zealand, I'm still looking to bowl my best stock delivery. Um, the only difference is... In terms of the field settings, you probably can't afford to be as attacking here in New Zealand um, because the ball runs off the bat a lot quicker, the, the surface is a lot quicker, and the ball comes onto the bat a lot better because it doesn't turn as much or hold in the wicket as much. Mm. Um, so, so it's more the other attributes that really change um, in terms of your fields, um, what kind of fields you're running, um, what situations in the game you're bowling in, um, that's probably what contributes more than the actual bowling itself because for me personally, I don't think my bowling needs to change too much. Mm. Um, whether I'm in the subcontinent or whether I'm playing in New Zealand, I'm still looking to take wickets, but it's just, you know, those wickets come in different ways. In, in the subcontinent, you can have more people around a better space, um, in outfields, um, you know, toy with the batsman a little bit, but more air. Um, and stuff like that. Whereas in New Zealand, I, I think it's a, it's more 
a little bit different in the sense that you have to be patient for a lot longer. You have to keep things a lot simpler, not try too many things. Um, and you have to rely heavily on your accuracy um, because if you miss here, um, it's not as big a margin as if you miss in the subcontinent where it's, you know, turning square. So mm. uh, it's, I think that's the difference as opposed to the actual bowling itself. I, I think it's more the understanding and, uh, and the field sets and the, the situations that you bowl in, really. And, I mean, going going back to that Pakistani, you touched on a little bit, but sort of, um, I mean, talking to you as well, you feel you feel like you've got a really good sense of uh, your own game and all that, but, I mean, how were you feeling the pressure when they need 20 runs to win and you sort of touched on it there where mm. if you bowl a bad ball, you, that's almost kind of the game, game's gone. They, they were five down and they had 20 runs to win. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that eh? I've been asked that question a few times and... Um, if I'm completely honest, at that point in time, I wasn't even thinking about the game uh, in that sense, in, in, in the sense of winning or losing. Mm. I was just thinking, I was literally just thinking one ball at a time, just bowl your best ball. Um, and that's how I broke it down. Mm. Um, and as a, as a spinner, though, like that is an art that you learn when you bowl long spells. Um, when you're bowling long spells, you learn to break things down one ball at a time. Um, and control one ball, one one little thing at one period of time. So I never really got too far ahead, but obviously it got to a point where, hold on a minute, this is a very tight game now, um, and every single ball counts. So the, the focus, once again, was just you know really controlling that delivery, and it wasn't so much, oh, how, or am I looking to do something different to try and get a wicket here? It wasn't about searching for a wicket. It was about just bowling your best delivery and, and letting that do the work rather than try a slider or an arm ball or something different or slower or quicker. Yeah, those things you play around with, but at the same time, it's still about, like I said, dropping that ball on a handkerchief over and over and over again. Mm. Um, but I, I think for me, it was it was quite simple um, in that sense because of the conditions. But I think a lot of credit in that game goes to Wags yeah. And, and, and the way that and the way that the seam is bowled as well, because on that surface for Wags to run in and bowl eleven overs on the bounce and keep restricting them, keep challenging them, and also take a few crucial wickets, that was an unbelievable spell. And yeah, you know, spell. it's 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 something that you you kind of yeah, I had the success, but at the same time, would that success have been possible if Wags didn't do what he did at the other end? Um, realistically, probably not. Um, but it was. It was. It was an amazing game to be part of, and it was an amazing spell, and something that you know I watch again and again because you know I just look at that and go. Sometimes I, I think, where did that come from? Mm. You know, um, because it's kind of like at the same time, it's something that you dream of doing for years and years and years, and when you get that opportunity to be able to kind of stamp your mark in such fashion in a game like that, um, it, it was quite surreal. And it probably hit me a lot more after everything was done, after we got that last wicket, that it probably hit me like, oh, that's unbelievable. I can't believe that we've just done that and how how have we done that or how have I done that? Sounds like it's come from years of hard work, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, you, you work hard. You, you, you cherish the moment once you do get the opportunity. And I was just grateful um, to be playing a test for New Zealand and I remember uh, to this day 
I remember um, one of the things that Ish told me after the game because um, he came and had me and he's like, you know, this this is what you've been training for all your life. Um, and, you know, to be able to be out here and do this, you know, this, and it, that's probably when it hit me the most. It's just like, because it, all those years of hard work just flashed by um, in the back of my mind going, well, yeah, you know, this, this is something special, but I also felt like, you know, I've earned the right to do that and it's not a fluke, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Um, and, I mean, you know, we, we sort of very loyal in this room about the clubs that we played for, but um, I have to have to give you in suburbs a bit of credit there. It must be pretty cool to have, uh, have so many sort of old teammates in and around that black cap set up. Yeah, 100%. Um, obviously, Guppy was there through the 2020, um, playing and debuting with Jeep while I was there. That was that was surreal. Mm. Um, so, and obviously, myself and Jeep, we played a lot of cricket through school. Same thing with Gut. Um, so, to be in the same changing room and to, to put on the fern and be out there representing New Zealand together, you know, that's, that's something special. And that, that's something you kind of hope that you can do and you dream that you can do that. And to actually do it, it's something totally different. Um, and obviously, me and G, we go a long way back and we've got a very, very good relationship and quite a close relationship. Um, so it was, it was a special moment in that sense as well. Mm. Um, and, and it was really cool. Um, but yeah, like you say, with suburbs, I, I suppose the other thing, you know, about suburbs, during my time, I was very fortunate that there was a lot of guys there who were either playing first-class cricket or had played first-class cricket mm. who you could learn from. And, and I think that's where the club system, um, that's where young players really benefit um, and, and really take a lot on. Because uh, when they're trying to improve, when they're trying to get better, having those kind of people around you in a changing room, um, you know, it's a luxury. And, and to be able to have that as you're growing up, you know, that, that I feel like I was very fortunate to have that. Um, and I, Auckland, Auckland cricket's great because, you know, obviously you have that spread of first-class cricketers and ex-first-class cricketers who have played, or even international cricketers who have played and are still playing club cricket. Mm. Um and so that's that's very cool um, to be able to do that as a club cricketer as well. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? I mean, yeah, the um, just the way you are in New Zealand, the the size of our country, I guess those those international players end up playing club cricket a lot more, and it's yeah, it's fantastic. I, I feel exactly the the same way. But mm. I mean, um, from uh, what you're up to now, I mean, how much did, has COVID sort of disrupted things for for you from cricketing point of view? I mean, I imagine you're preparing, thinking about preparing to go to Bangladesh pretty soon. Yeah, we were. We were. Um, obviously, through the, through the whole COVID thing, um, there was still kind of like, well, we don't know what's going to happen with Bangladesh, so you have to kind of still prepare as if you're going to go. Mm. Um, but in terms of training, to be honest, other than looking after fitness, I wasn't doing much more. Mm. Um, but once COVID lifted, um, the boys are all back in the gym, back into the, the facilities training and stuff like that. So... Um, unfortunately, that Bangladesh tour has been postponed now um, yeah. due, due to COVID. But, um, yeah, I mean, for, for us, it's really now looking to the summer and, and uh, our home summer and looking to kind of prepare for that. We've still got a couple of months before that happens. And I'm also part of the winter New Zealand winter training squad and obviously New Zealand camps. So 
Um, there's a lot of camps and stuff that'll that'll be happening over the next couple of months leading up to the season. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of training, um, yeah, that's that's going to take place. Um, other than that, not nothing changes really. We're we're really fortunate, I suppose, being in New Zealand and the timing of it all that it didn't really affect the cricket season too much. Mm. Uh, I just I just think about the boys in the UK. Um, yeah. You know that that must have been tough going through a whole winter preparing for the season and then not knowing when the season's going to start. So that would have been pretty tough. We're, I suppose, in a fortunate spot right now that, you know, we know that hopefully things going and continuing to go well, um, we'll our summer won't be affected too much. Mm. Awesome. Well, hey, Jess, we're, we're almost out of time, but before we let you go, we do always like to finish up with a little bit of a quick fire round so one of the final questions in this little segment is going to be the best sledge you've been involved in or heard on a cricket field so i'll get you to put your thinking cap on um because that'll come as the penultimate question in the quick fire round but first and foremost what's your favorite spell when you look back oh it's got to be the one in dubai mm. uh, i'll be Derby, sorry yeah toughest batter to bowl at um i think bubbles bubbles pretty canny um, I, not in terms of tough, but like I didn't get to bowl to him much, but you know, you could see the attributes that he had and you could see that he was a class player. Um, and, and in terms of New Zealand, you can't go past Ross and Kane to be fair. And conversely, who's in your uh, hip pocket? Who do you love bowling at? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll leave that one. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Look, an, another tough one. Your, your favourite ground, and Ken Maunder Park is not an acceptable answer here. It's written in the show notes. <laughs> oh, it's got to be. It's got to be the Ken, mate. Ken, <laughs> lovely ground. Um, uh, in terms of, uh, I suppose, first-class cricket and domestic cricket, uh, Pushkura Park is amazing to play at um, when it's packed out. Uh, more so white ball than red ball, but it's just a great atmosphere a cool ground to play at, so batiki, um, you know, and it's just beautiful. And as a cricketer, do you have any superstitions? Nah, not really. Messy kit bag or is it tidy? Tidy. Favourite teammate? Who would you drive to the ground with if you had a choice? Uh, probably Duke. And we're coming to that um, sledge. So, but yeah, best sledge you've ever heard on a cricket field or been involved in? Um, not so much a sledge per se, but um, there was a funny moment that I remember in a game. Um, this is going back to my SEMA days. I remember nicking someone off, and it went to second slip, and it was in Jeep's bread basket, and um, he shelled it, picked <laughs> it up, and and yelled no, and let the ball go, and it's gone flying over mid on and reached all the way to the boundary, and the umpires, <laughs> the umpires proceeded to give it four. And the only reason he did that was his argument was, well, Jeep did it all in one motion. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably got to, that's, that's right up there with one of the funniest things I've ever seen on a cricket field. So, oh, um, yeah, insult, take the cake, I reckon. Insult to injury there, a drop catch to, to four in the scorebook. And look, we, we yeah. hope we get to ask this question of you in years to come. And there's a lot more in the bank for you to choose from. But what's your proudest moment so far, career wise? Definitely just representing New Zealand, um, both 2020 and uh, Test cricket. I, I think, you know, to be able to get to that that stage in your career and be able to 
kind of you know accomplish a dream that you've been trying to accomplish right through childhood. Um, that's that's something quite special, and I think that those games I'll always I'll always hold quite highly. I reckon. Awesome. Well, AJ's look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We've taken up more of your time than we agree to. So look, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And I know Lippy always loves talking spin as well. And Baldy, who is a leg spinner himself. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, they always salivate when they're yeah, talking about the craft that you guys all um, share. Some of you at uh, yeah. higher standards than others, obviously. But look, <laughs> many thanks for coming onto the pod and uh, all the best for when cricket gets back on the, the TV and, and back on the, the green grass as well. Not a problem. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. Before you disappear from our feed, if you're a new listener, please do go and check out the back catalogue. We've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com. With a Top Order podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter. So don't be shy to jump on, give our tweets a share or a retweet, and we'll see you next week.